merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God? He says, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, get the house church pastors, the elders, get the kids and living kids, the children, get the ones in the nursery, the nursing infants, and leave the, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Get them all together. Get all of God's people together and go to my house. And when you get there together, go between the vestibule and the altar and let the, the leaders, the priests, the ministers of the Lord, let them weep. And cry out to the Lord, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? God, please bless through the power of your Holy Spirit the teaching of your word this morning. And I ask this in the name of your Son, whom you love. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to imagine with me a marriage. A marriage relationship. And in this relationship, the wife, she often will say things that cut deep toward her husband. She will often ignore his advances toward her. She chooses to spend time with her friends instead of with her husband, and when they're out in public, she and her husband, it, it's as if she's embarrassed that he's there with her. It's as if he's not even with her. She doesn't even acknowledge him when they're out in public. I mean, even in front of him, she'll talk about how other men are attractive to her. She never really serves her husband in any way. And let's imagine that this goes on for years. If you're the husband, how are you feeling? Now, I want you to imagine that that husband, because he loves her so much, he, he lovingly talks and confronts his wife. They sit down together and, and he, he wants to help her see that what she's doing is, is hurting him and and it's hurting their relationship. And that her choices over the past several years have just left him at night grieving for her and for their marriage. And as he sits across the table from her expressing his heart to her, she just nods. Maybe he says the occasional, I'm sorry, but really there's, there's just ignorance to his words. She just keeps ignoring. There's no change there's never change. Now, I want you to play this relationship out in your relationship with God. God's the husband. You know, God is all about relationship, right? Even within God, there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is all about relationship. In the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, we read about how God walks in the garden that he's created for his prized creations, Adam and Eve, and we see him walking in the garden with them. He loves relationship. He loves being with his people. So imagine how God feels when we choose to laugh at the things that hurt him. 
Imagine how he must feel when we choose to binge watch our favorite Netflix show instead of spend any time with him or his people. Imagine how when you're in public and it's almost as if you're embarrassed that he's with you. You never talk about him. No one ever really knows that you have a relationship with him. There's a friendship. Imagine how he feels when you choose to trust others or trust yourself instead of trust him with the future. Never say you're sorry. You just occasionally nod your head. But there's no change. Now, because God is loving and he loves you, he's not going to ignore that rejection or that running from him. Because he knows what's best for you is a relationship with him. And that's what he wants too. So he's going to do whatever he can. He's going to call you back and he's going to do whatever it takes to wake you, to wake me up from our complacency in order to restore that intimacy and that friendship and that relationship with him. Because that's the kind of God he is. But like with any relationship, right? If you're the husband in the relationship, you need more than just I'm sorry. Words mean nothing without change. For there to be true, genuine restoration and repair in your relationship, there needs to be what's called repentance. Repentance. We don't hear much or talk much about repentance. You know, sometimes the only time we hear about repentance is maybe we see it on a sign or hear it coming from the bullhorn of a street preacher as we make our way to a Reds game or to a Bengals game. But I'm telling you, you can't read the Bible. You can't read about God's history with his people without seeing this thread, this message of repentance. It was the message that God told Old Testament prophet Jonah to preach to a wicked city in Nineveh. He said, go tell them to repent. It was the message God told the prophet Jeremiah to preach to his people. It was the message God told Ezekiel to preach to his people. It was the message John the Baptist preached. It was the message Peter preached. In Acts chapter 3.19, he stands in front of the Jews and he says, Repent, therefore, and turn back to God that your sins may be blotted out. It was the message Paul preached in every city that he went to. In Acts 26, verse 20, he's standing before a Roman, uh, a Roman king, if you will, and, and he's describing to the, this Roman king the calling that God had placed on his life. And he says, King, let me tell you, when I walked into a city, I told them to repent and turn to God. That was my message. And even when you go to the book of Revelation, Jesus visits seven churches and five out of the seven, he tells them to repent. You can't read scripture. You can't see God's relationship with his people without seeing God's call to his people to repent. This last Tuesday was Halloween, right? We went trick-or-treating. Some of you did as well. But there was an incredible anniversary that took place on October 31st of this year. And it is the 500th anniversary when Martin Luther, who was a professor of theology in the year 1517. It's the 500th year anniversary of the day when he nailed to the university door where he taught 95 statements. 
And as Martin Luther began to read the Bible, and he began to compare what the Bible said with what the Roman Catholic Church was teaching at the time, he, he saw a big difference. Because at the time, the Roman Catholic Church was saying, you want forgiveness of your sins? Pay off the priest. Indulgences. Just pay money and we'll give you forgiveness. But Martin Luther, as he read the Bible, he said, wait a second. That's, that's not how a person receives forgiveness of sins. And so he began to make a list of, of differences between what he saw Scripture teach and what was being taught in the day. And of those 95 statements, the very first one, the very first one says this. Number one of 95 says, Our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, in saying repent, meant the whole life of the faithful is to be an act of repentance. That's the number one of 95. The very first thing he says is the life of a disciple of Jesus is a a life of repentance. Because he saw that message weaved throughout Scripture as he would read it. And doesn't it make sense? I mean, if you're in a relationship with someone, and that someone just keeps hurting you time and time and time and time again, words mean nothing if there's no change. And repentance is vital to your and my relationship with Jesus. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is a Welsh doctor 400 years after Martin Luther, describes this about the importance of repentance. He says this, there are certain things that we must realize, that we must grasp. He says, we must believe before salvation can be ours, that the first of these is repentance. Without repentance, there is no knowledge of salvation. There is no experience of salvation. It is an essential step. It is the first step. Repentance has always been part of God's message to his people. So we should expect it when we come to the book of Joel. So when we read the scriptures and we read what Martin Luther wrote, and we see what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, and we read Jesus and the apostles and their message, they're saying, listen, there is no relationship with God. There is no forgiveness of sins without repentance. There's no restored relationship without it. Right? And like the marriage scenario I gave at the beginning, when we just ignore the sin that we're causing, it devastates, it separates, it distances your relationship with God. And without repentance, there is no forgiveness, there is no intimacy with God. And so this morning, I feel like it's important for us to pause for a moment and talk about repentance. Because without it, we are doomed to God's judgment for our sins. And so the message that God has for his people through the book of Joel is this, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, when it comes to your sin, you need to listen up, take it seriously. You need to wake up, don't ignore it. You need to grieve over it. You need to feel the sorrow of it. But then he goes on and he says, you know what else you do with that sin? You repent. You repent. And the big truth that I want us to get this morning is this, when it comes to my sin, when it comes to your sin, when it comes to the message that God has for us to communicate to our neighbors, to our co-workers about coming to Jesus, the message is repent. And I want to focus in on verse 12 and 13 of chapter 2. Because I think there, in these two verses, this is kind of the climax, if you will, of the message that God is communicating to his people. And I think we we can see what 
what repentance looks like as we dive into these two verses. So join me in verse 12 of chapter 2 of the book of Joel. God's speaking here and he says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Verse 13, return to the Lord your God. So two times he says, return. So repentance looks like a change of direction. It's a change of direction. If you're returning to something, you're going one direction and you're turning around and going back. That's what repentance looks like. It's a turning back, if you will. It's a returning. Well, then what are we turning from and what are we turning to? We'll go to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 18. Because again, God's message to his people through the prophet Ezekiel, he tells us what we need to turn from. Ezekiel chapter 18. Verses 30 and 32. God is speaking, and he says this to his people. He says, therefore, chapter 18, verse 30 of Ezekiel, he says, therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity, sin, be your ruin. A.W. Tozer said, either you deal with your sin or your sin is going to deal with you. And so God here in Ezekiel is saying, listen, you need to repent. You need to deal with your sin. You need to turn from all your sin. Verse 31, cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. So the return is we're, we're Turning from sin. Name the sin. That sin that, that's in your life that you struggle with anger, fear, that need to be in control, whatever. Words of hurt, whatever it might be. Repentance is turning, it's changing direction. And it's walking in a new way. It's turning from sin. Then I referenced it earlier, but Acts chapter 26 tells us that Paul said, I would tell people when I came into a city, you need to repent of your sin. You need to turn from your sin, and you're turning back toward God. That's repentance. It's a change of direction. See, repentance isn't just saying words. It's not just saying, I'm sorry. That's part of it. But it's changing direction. Because change proves that you really believe what you're saying. It's walking away from sin and walking in obedience back to Christ. This past week, I was in the hallway at school, and I walked by a little, I think he was like third grader possibly, and, and so we're going like this, and he just kept on trucking, right? I'm like, hey, man, high five. I usually do that in the hallway when the kids walk by. I'm high five, whatever, and he keeps going. And then I walk by him, and I'm, I'm, you know, we, we went like this, and then I hear him turn around and start running back. I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, what are you, what's, you all right? What's going on? He's like, yeah, I walked right by the bathroom. And that's where I'm supposed to go. So he just kept, he's like, I'm like, what? He's like, I got distracted. So I'm like, so he was going one way and he had to return and come back to get to where he needed to go. Repentance is like changing directions. And what happens is we get so complacent, so distracted that we don't even realize where we're headed. And repentance is a change of direction. It's not just saying I'm sorry, but it's doing something about the sin 
It's replacing it with scripture. It's investing in your spouse instead of looking at porn. It's canceling or or replacing that Netflix show with spending time with Jesus and his word. It's maybe fasting from Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, video games, sports. It's stepping out in faith instead of holding on to worry. It's saying no to the comfort so you can say yes to being with Jesus. It's changing directions. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, that leads us to the next description of repentance. So if there's a change of direction, there needs to be next a change of mind and a change of heart. A change of mind and a change of heart. That's what repentance is. It's agreeing with God in your thinking and in your feeling about your sin. Look at what he says. Joel chapter 2, he says, Yet even now, verse 12, declares the Lord, return to me. How? With all your heart. With all your heart. Verse 13, rend your hearts and not your garments. So the heart is involved in the change of direction. Your heart is involved. How you feel, your emotion, everything. It's involved in that turning from sin. Go with me to the book of 1 Kings. Go with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 8. Because I want us to see that repentance is not only a change of direction, it's a change of mind, it's a change of heart. 1 Kings chapter 8. Solomon is king over God's people. He is a son of King David, and Solomon is standing before God's people, hundreds of thousands of people, and he's praying for them, publicly praying for them. And one of the things he prays is he asks God to relent from judgment if God's people repent. But I want you to see what he tells them to repent of. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 46 through 48. Solomon's praying, and he says, if they sin against you, God, For there's no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Verse 47, yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly, that's repentance, acknowledging that you've sinned, that you're a sinner. And verse 48, if they repent, how? What's it say? With all their what? Right? With all their mind and with all their heart. With all their mind and with all their heart. There's a repentance that involves the mind, how you think, and the heart, how you feel towards sin. And it makes sense, right? Because sin begins in the mind. James said, James chapter 1, verse 14, he said, Sin begins when you are enticed by your own desire. By your own desire. It starts with your own desire. There's a sense where you start believing that I would be better off if I did this than if I did what God said. I'd be better off if I just went off in that sin rather than make God my sole purpose for living. Sin begins in the mind. We begin thinking differently, wrongly about sin and wrongly about God. Think about Satan in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. How did he get them to sin? Remember what he did? He asked them a question. Right? He said, Genesis 3, verse 1, did God really say that's where sin starts? It starts, does God really say that if I do this, it's really bad? Bad for me? Did God really? We start thinking wrongly. We start questioning God's goodness. We start questioning God. 
and his promises and his words. So it makes sense that if sin involves the mind, if sin involves the heart, that repentance must involve the mind and the heart, which means we need to tell God we're sorry for how we've been thinking about sin and how we've been feeling about sin. It's a change of direction in our mind. It's saying, no, that's not right. That's not good. I'm going to change how I think about that sin because I know that that's wrong. I know God's way is best. So now I'm thinking differently and my heart is drawn more toward God. That's repentance. It's a change of direction. How do you get there? It starts with a change of mind and a change of heart. It's how we think and how we feel about sin. I grew up in the 1980s. And during the 1980s, there was G.I. Joe. And my brother, who's about six or seven years younger than me, loved G.I. Joe. And he would have G.I. Joe action figures everywhere. I mean, they'd be hanging from my mom's plants through our house. They would be hanging from, from lamps, whatever. If you were to walk through our house when I was a kid, you'd see G.I. Joe action figures everywhere. Now, if you're familiar at all with G.I. Joe, there were two characters that were twins, Tomax and Zamot, okay? Tomax and Zamot. Now, Tomax and Zamot were twins to the point to where they could feel each other's pain. So even though they might be separated from one another physically, if Tomax is getting drilled, right, getting beat up, Zamot could be in another part of the world and he'd be feeling it. Right? They could feel each other's pain. And I wonder, church, have we become so complacent, so numb to sin that we no longer feel what God feels toward your sin? We no longer really think we're sinners. We don't even agree with God anymore about what He says about who we are without Him. That's a dangerous place to be. And repentance involves a change in mind, a change in heart. It's being able to agree with God when he says, yes, you are a sinner. I am a sinner. The Bible tells me that my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. If I were to put on the screen every thought you had this week, it'd reveal that you're a sinner. It would reveal that I'm a sinner. We need to agree with God about what he says about who we are. That we agree with him that because of my sin, because he's holy and I'm not, I am, he is just in getting, giving me judgment for my sin against him. We've got to start thinking about sin the way God thinks about sin. We've got to start feeling about sin the way God feels about sin. Repentance is not just a change of direction. You don't get there without first a change of mind and a change of heart. We say, Mark, well, how do I get there? How do I get to where my mind and my heart is changing and turning about sin? We'll keep reading verse 13 of chapter 2 of Joel. God tells us. How do you get to that point? He says this, verse 12, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God for. That little preposition, powerful powerful preposition because what it does is it reveals to you the reason for repentance the motivation for repentance god's saying listen the reason i want you to return to me the reason why you need to repent is because i'm gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and he relents over disaster 
for he is gracious. God's saying the motivation for changing direction, changing your mind and changing your thinking about sin and turning from it is how good and gracious and kind God is toward us. It's not even the consequence. He's saying, don't, he doesn't say, you know, you need to repent because if you don't, God's going to spank you. He's probably going to do that too. But the motivation for repentance is saying, God loves you so much. He's so in love with you. He's so gracious and kind and slow to anger. that He wants you to see him for who he is. And when you get a picture of who he is and how great he is, you don't want to sin anymore. You want to follow him. He's the motivation for turning from sin. Paul said it in Romans 2.4. He said, it is the kindness of God, the kindness of God that leads us to repent. Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, repent and believe the gospel. So there's this repentance, believing. You're replacing that belief about what you think about your sin. You're replacing it with the belief about who Jesus is and what he's done for you in the gospel. And you're turning now because you're believing new things about who God is and what he says. See, repentance begins with seeing by faith how great and gracious and loving and merciful God is toward you. It's believing and agreeing with God that, yes, you are a sinner and deserving of judgment, but you're believing that through Christ alone and his death on the cross, you receive forgiveness and living for him is better. The friendship with Jesus and obedience to him is better than any sin has to offer. Think of Isaiah chapter 6. I encourage you to read it. Isaiah chapter 6, he tells us, the prophet, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw God for who he is. My eyes have seen the king, Isaiah says. And what's Isaiah's immediate response? Woe is me. He's in the presence of God. And then when he's in the presence of God, when he sees how good and gracious and holy God is, he becomes aware of his own sin. And he repents and God in his grace comes and he puts his coal of fire on his lips and his sense to say, I forgive you. And now Isaiah's response is, God, thank you for your grace. And God says, well, who's going to go for me? Isaiah says, I'll go. I'll go serve you. Repentance starts with seeing God for who he is. You don't get to a change of direction without a change of mind and a change of heart. You don't get to a change of mind and change of heart without seeing how amazing your God is. So that tells me something. If you and I aren't repenting, what's that tell us about our view of God? And how much time we actually spend time seeing God for who he is. Our problem is that we don't repent. Why? Because we're too busy. Really? What are you too busy doing and spending time with Jesus? Scrolling Facebook, posting Instagram, Snapchat, Netflix, Cavs, Sports Ohio. Right? And God's going. I'm right here. I'm right here. And you're creating this distance between you and me, and I'm, I'm not going anywhere. Listen, if God feels far from you, it's not his fault. It's not his fault. Don't blame him. Don't blame the church. It's maybe because we're not repenting. Maybe because we're not repenting, we're not seeing God for who he is. 
what's it look like? It looks like doing whatever it takes to spend time in the presence of Jesus. And if you and I are distant from God, then it's probably because repentance is not a part of our life. And if that's the case, then it's probably because you and I are not spending time in God's presence, and it begins there. So from the opening pages of Joel, God speaks and he tells us that when it comes to your sin, when it comes to my sin, repent, change direction, change mind, change heart. How? By seeing God for who he is and how gracious and merciful and loving he is toward you. And like Jesus, like the apostles, like Martin Luther, like Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, repentance has to be part of the message that we communicate to people who need him. But here's the beautiful part, church. Here's here's why it's called good news. Because when those who repent and believe the gospel, when, when that happens, Revelation 3, 19 through 22, that promise becomes reality. Look at what Jesus says. He says, I love you. I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm right outside the door of your heart. And if you just repent, acknowledge that you're a sinner, acknowledge that you've sinned against me, and say you're sorry and let there be a change of mind, a change of heart, change of direction, he says, I will come in and there will be fellowship with us again. Intimacy will be restored. Friendship will be restored. That's the promise to those who repent. It's forgiveness and fellowship. And that leads to rejoicing. That leads to celebration because of the cross, because of the resurrection. Let's go back to our marriage metaphor, right? Imagine the wife begins seeing her husband for who he is in all his glory, right? Compassionate. He's caring. He's kind. He's loving. And she becomes gripped by his loyal love for her. And so she comes to him in tears, feeling the hurt that she's caused. And she comes apologizing for the way she's been treating him. And he listens and he cares. He hears her words of, I'm sorry. But he wonders, are these just words? But in the weeks to come, Her words of hurt toward him are less. She's more responsive to his advances. She chooses to spend time with him more than with her friends. What's happening? Change is happening. There's a turning from and a turning to, and as a result, the husband responds with continued grace and love. The relationship is being repaired. The relationship is being restored, renewed. Fellowship and intimacy has returned. Why? Because there's been repentance. There's been repentance. Yes, there's been an I'm sorry, but now you see a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction. Why? Because she began to see the love that the, her husband has for her. So what's this look like day to day? Say, I'm a Christian, I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I still re- need to repent? Yes. Not for salvation, but for continued fellowship with Jesus. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, it looks like breathing. 
right? You intake the oxygen. You begin to see God for who He is. And as you do that throughout the day, you begin to see your sin for what it is. You acknowledge your sin. You confess it before Him. You say, Jesus, I'm sorry for having that thought or saying that evil word or whatever it might have been. And then you just thank Him. Jesus, thank You for going to the cross so I can be forgiven of that sin. And that's happening throughout the day. Multiple times throughout the day. As Martin Luther said, the life of a follower of Christ, it's a life of repentance. But there's also this missional piece to repentance. It has to be what we call people to for forgiveness of sins and friendship with God. We must call them to repent. Jesus did. The apostles did. The early church fathers did. And I'm guilty of not calling people to this. If for some reason you were to ever leave Living Church or go to another church, please, and they never talk about repentance, leave the church. Go somewhere that does. Please. Because here's my fear for us, church. Here's my fear for some of us. Is that you think you're a disciple of Jesus, but there has been zero repentance. None. There's been no change of mind, no change of heart, no change of direction. You just keep nodding your head. But there's no heart change. There's no mind change. There's no, you're still on the pathway of your sins. And God's calling His people. He's saying, repent. And that's impossible apart from the Spirit of God. You acknowledge it. And my fear is that there would be, there'd be some here this morning and then in our house churches that would never hear us call them to repent. Repent. And believe the gospel. When it comes to your sin, to my sin, the sin of those in our neighborhoods, we must call people to repentance. So here's my challenge. I'm going to call the band up at this point. Here's my challenge. I want you to spend time seeing Jesus for who he is this week. Every day this week, I want you to read Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Every day, Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. And I want you to just think on it. See God for who he is. And in that moment, as the Spirit of God makes you aware of sins in your life, you confess them. You apologize to God for those. And then don't stay there. You rejoice in the gospel because you've been forgiven. And you have this relationship with this living King named Jesus. And it's time for celebration. God says to us this morning, repent. And I love the fact that in a moment, we're going to be able to share communion together. Because as you take that bread and you take that cup, it's a reminder for those who repent of their sins, you are forgiven. Fellowship is restored and you have a living, ongoing relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. So in this quiet moment after I pray, you just if you want to make your way to the cross, I'm going to the cross after I pray. I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to repent of some things in my heart that I need to tell God I'm sorry for. If you want to join me, join me. You don't have to. You can stay where you're seated. But in that moment, when you're ready, you go take the bread, you take the cup, and let it be a reminder that you are forgiven through the cross. And you celebrate because you feel the power of the Holy Spirit have a relationship with this God who loves you. Then when we sing, sing our guts out. Can we sing in celebration for who this Jesus is that's forgiven us? Can we do that together in celebration? But God's call for us first, church, is to repent. To repent. Father, thank you that you love us enough to call us to repent. And you say, return to me. And God, I pray that if there's someone in this room that maybe has been playing the game, they've been falsely thinking that they're a follower of yours, but there's been no change, there's been no repentance. God, I pray that right now where they sit, they would repent of their sins. They would acknowledge that they're a sinner. 
doomed to your judgment. But in that moment, would you give them the faith to believe the gospel and they would in, their mo- in that moment receive you, Jesus, and be forgiven and free and have fellowship with you. God, we thank you for your love to us because you are good, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love, God. Move, Holy Spirit. Move this morning. May we be a church that repents, but may we be a church that rejoices in the good news of the gospel, that forgives, frees, and restores. Amen.